0: to the podcast for healing neurology where we talk about everything that can help heal your neurology which is really everything from food lifestyle and medicine to nature culture and politics there's no topic too big or too small i'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in ayurveda and functional medicine And today we have with us a rheumatologist. Now, rheumatology is like as old as the hills, and we're going to talk about what that is today. And we're talking with Dr. Ailey Cohn, who is a triple board certified rheumatologist, integrative medicine doctor, and internist. Like soup to nuts, that's this gal. So she's also an environmental health expert in Princeton, New Jersey. She's collaborated with the Environmental Working Group, Cancer Schmancer, and other disease prevention organizations, and is co-editor of the textbook, Integrative Environmental Medicine, part of the Oxford University Press, Weill Integrative Medicine Library. That came out in 2017. She lectures nationally on environmental health topics for elementary and high schools, colleges, universities, medical schools, and physician training programs, and she's a regular expert guest for television. Print and podcasts. In 2015, she created the smarthuman.com to share environmental health, disease prevention, and wellness information with the public. And she's working to integrate environmental health information into high school curricula nationwide. Her TEDx talk, How to Protect Your Kids from Toxic Chemicals, can be found on YouTube, and you can follow her health and wellness tips and recommendations on Facebook at The Smart Human, Twitter and Instagram at The Smart Human. Sign up for The Smart Human newsletter, read her latest posts at the smarthuman.com and listen to her podcast, The Smart Human. Really, you cannot get enough of this gal. So Dr. Cone lives on a farm in New Jersey with her husband, two sons, and lots of furry friends. And she has a new book that literally dropped yesterday. It's called Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. And we have her on today to talk all about what is rheumatology, what are toxins, how can we think about categories of toxins and what can we do about them. So Ailey, welcome. We're so glad to have you.
1: Well thank you for having me in that beautiful intro. I get no confidence at home. My kids yell at me. So this <laughs> is already I'm excited. So thank you for that.
0: See how smart you are. This is great. Let's get started. You're a doctor but you're not just any kind of doctor. You're a rheumatologist. So that's an old word. Help us understand the old definition and a des- description of rheumatology and how that's changing.
1: So in rheumatology, if you break down the word ruma, it really comes from the old school thought process that it rumors or, um, you know, bad things travel through the body and through the joints. And so technically speaking, rheumatologists are known as joint doctors that deal with, you know, osteoarthritis from wear and tear or rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease, um, Lyme disease, gout, anything that affects joints, it is kind of expanded over the years. Um, and we're dealing with a lot of other things that don't necessarily affect the joints um, like polymyalgia rheumatica, which is more muscle related and polymyositis. But essentially we, we cover quite a bit of the autoimmune diseases, lupus, rheumatoid, and uh, a variety of others. So um, yeah, interesting field. I found it interesting. And, and so that was my um, fellowship off of internal medicine. And I'm thrilled to actually do it because it's, it's a lot of fun. And it
0: really seems like the new rheumatology is more of an immune specialty because so much of joint pain is inflammation. And so rheumatology is really kind of seems like it's transitioning into an immune specialty.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when you pick your specialty back in the day, you know, and you're young and you're kind of right out of training, you sort of think about, okay, what's the lifestyle going to be like? Am I going <laughs> to get in three in the morning? Do I make enough money? Are there procedures? Or am I going to, you know, be respected? My, fee- You know, there's all these other random questions that you think about. It turns out that rheumatology is one of the key specialties in what we're dealing with now. I mean, it, now because of autoimmune disease that's been on the rise and we have, you know, essentially one to 10% of the US population has autoimmune disease um, and even worldwide. And of course now with COVID, which we can talk about how chemicals affect the human body in terms of inflammatory response, really critical now with COVID response, you know, in terms of how the body responds, everyone can get in, you know, infected with a virus such as coronavirus, but it's how the human body responds that differentiates one human being from another. And really a big push on this book last minute because we were sending it to press was how do we teach people the connection that it's not just great for preventing cancers and autoimmune disease to follow these recommendations, but really to, to, to avoid having a dramatic inflammatory response to coronavirus should and if one should get infected. And
0: we're seeing now more and more of these long haulers, people kind of really struggling, their bodies can't recover
1: from it. And that's pretty amazing. But, you know, it's interesting because we're used to that in rheumatology from chronic Lyme disease, from fibromyalgia, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we see these long haulers in a lot of different conditions. So we're not, it's not unusual for us, we don't roll our eyes and say, Oh, you're crazy, or no one's listening, you know, like, I can't handle this, you know, go back and take some Tylenol. And what we <laughs> am seeing now is like, you know, this is in line with what we're used to managing and believing our patients to be suffering from. Uh-huh. Um, so I believe there's, you know, not just joint pain and muscle achiness, certainly shortness of breath and some cardiac issues, we know, but also um, insomnia, which is turned out to be quite an issue and of course loss of taste that doesn't return and so we have sensory muscle joint heart i mean it's like nothing's sort of off the table unfortunately the patients
0: that i'm seeing it feels like someone took a snow globe where your body has kind of decided its immune response and settled things over your life and just shook it up and so anything that's ever happened to you is now kind of back open it's like all the cupboards have been open everything is the immune system's like should i be worried about this should i think about this should i do this
1: right i mean it's it's one of those things where gosh we've never seen anything like this before i mean even the spanish flu which you know lasted a year and a half but really was much more contained after they kind of knew that it was active and you know we didn't have such a global way of living living better, yeah much more contained and now it's just like you know people are on airplanes and infecting whole towns and cities and you know so it, it's just a different set of rules and every day we're finding out medically i mean i follow all the medical blogs as you do you know yeah. and your practice does and it's almost like every day it's like really that too, <laughs> really <laughs> that too i mean it's it's just it's like never ending
0: One thing that's really changed in our modern life is how much we're moving around. But there's some other things that have changed in our modern life, which is what your book is about. So tell us what you're writing about.
1: You know, I really, just to put it really bluntly, is I was starting to get pissed, you know, that the world around <laughs> us is so freaking dirty. And, you know, I didn't know this. The introduction of the book actually gives a long hauled story of how I got into this environmental health, because I certainly wouldn't be here if it had not been for the fact that my dog, um, very early on when I was a new mom, actually, he was a new puppy, he was three and a half years old when he got really, really sick. And, you know, it turned out he had autoimmune hepatitis, which is unbelievably rare for dogs, but especially for golden retrievers. And he was my firstborn, So I was really heartbroken. And when I was learning more about him and why he or how he could have gotten sick, because we live in a farm in New Jersey, which is the garden state with lots of pesticides sprayed, especially out our backyard mm-hmm. um, by farmers. And I was wondering about his water, whether his water was really clean. I was wondering about his food, whether it might have been contaminated, pesticides, his toy, uh, especially that he had in his mouth, plastic red toy. It's a very popular toy that he never let out of his mouth even while uh-huh. he slept. So I was reviewing and wondering and pining away about this dog and trying to figure out all the things could have caused him harm. And I you know, unveiled... All of these regulatory issues that I didn't even know existed that showed how there's such a lack of oversight of chemicals that get into everything we love and they're never tested for toxic reactions or safety, especially in young children and pregnant women, before they're added to those products and put on the shelf. And I just, I was like wide-eyed and I couldn't believe this is what was going on. And why hadn't I not heard about this in medical school or, or even biology class in high school? I mean, this should be something that we are aware of. And that's, you know, an issue that we have in the United States where, you know, the, the markets are really biased towards manufacturers and there's so much limited regulatory oversight on them and requirements for them. So it, it takes third-party um, academic institutions like, you know, Fred Vonsal, who uh, is my co-host, co-author on this book who spent his whole career um, and still does researching environmental chemicals as endocrine disruptors that affect the hormone system. He's the guy that actually his research along with his international colleagues discovered BPA. But bisphenol A was an endocrine disruptor and affects human hormones, um, particularly infants and newborns, and was able to, after years of work and research, to get the United States to remove it from plastic baby bottles in 2012. Mm -hmm. So that's my partner, and I'm honored and humbled to be working with him on two books now. So I think the science is right, and thank God he's on board for that, (laughs) uh, because he's a real classic and artist, kind of interesting researcher. Anyway, so that's where we are right now. And I was just angry and I wanted to find out more. And then the more I learned, the more I felt, why doesn't anyone else know this? Why is there not a book out there that can teach me what I'm learning over these eight years? And I essentially put it all in a book with Fred, um, Dr. Bumsall. And, you know, we really got the regulatory story correct on a lot of these chemicals because that's his world. We got the clinical and immunologic story correct on my world. And I see the downstream effects of these chemicals. I'm seeing younger people with thyroid disease, thyroid cancer, breast cancer, autoimmune diseases, I'm getting them and I'm kind of pissed. So, you know, it was kind of my reaction. So long answer to your question, but that's really (laughs) how I'm here.
0: Let's talk a little bit about those toxins. How do we think about the categories of toxins that impact us? And your TED Talk goes into this a little bit, but can you kind of walk us through how we can think about as we, whoever you are that's listening, so when our listeners can kind of look around themselves right now in this moment, whether they're in their car, on a walk, in their house, how do you think about the things that might be impacting you?
1: So I look at it as like a body survey. And, you know, when you walk into your home, what gets on your body in your body what do you put in your body on your body what surrounds you your lungs what do you inhale and how can we reduce those because to know that many of the chemicals and air fresheners carpet powders cleaning products that are not necessarily looked up and vetted for safety which I give all those resources in the book. We work with Environmental Working Group, which is a wonderful resource, but there's others in the book, recipes for cleaning products that are cleaner and safer. So, you know, I look at it as a body survey. You wanna look at what really is coming into your body and and affecting it potentially and getting into the bloodstream, breast milk, urine. So the first thing I tell patients is, you know, what do you spray in your home? You know, one of the first things you can do is just remove chemicals, don't buy them. It's so much cheaper than buying (laughs) stuff. So the first step is just to not buy it and bring it in your home where it can get into your body, get into dust on the floor where cats and dogs and children, uh, you know, put them on their hands and toys and it gets stuck and they put it in their mouth. So you really want to think about if you remove the stuff by either chucking it, I had a whole Drawer of air fresheners at one point that were like liquid. You plugged them in. Uh-huh. They were like Berry Breeze and Ocean View, and <laughs> you know, like Mountain Air. And and I thought to myself, Am I going to really feel like that when I plug these in? Or am I going to like feel like this is nasty and I'm inhaling toxic chemicals that are untested? And it took that little sort of switch to take an entire drawer. 30 yeah. of them, and chuck them. Wow. And I think that when we start to kind of unload, it, it's really refreshing. It really is. Things that are in
0: us, that are food, things that are on us with our body products are clean, and things that are around us, our, our cleaning products, our air, our water. And feminine
1: um, products. I want to mention that because I think a lot of um, women and, and parents of young girls should be thinking about, you know, Thinking about the chemicals that are in tampons. I mean, he's subject, but let me tell you, they're filled with pesticides for cotton. They're If they're not cotton, they're made out of rayon or um, synthetic fibers that we know are plastic. They may have been sprayed with perfumes that have phthalates that are endocrine disruptors, a class of endocrine disruptors that affect estrogen at low levels and androgens and a bunch of other hormones in the body. And what's really striking is that the vaginal canal is actually super absorbent. It's similar in tissues in terms of absorbency to the mouth, which we know there are medications that many of us take that are sublingual or under the tongue. I do that with patients with vitamin D and a bunch of other medicines. So that's very similar tissue. And so what that means is is that whatever we put in travaginally, um, you know, things with feminine care products, sprays, douches, tampons, those kind of things absorb quite readily into the human body. And you can measure it. Medications like estrogens that are creams, you can measure those in the bloodstream within within hours. So, you know, I just want people to know that there's all different routes into the body, air, food, water, intravaginally, you know, so let's think about all those and, and try to, um, to just make them cleaner. That's all. So what do you recommend instead of tampons? Just to kind of- Well, oh, I don't mind tampons at all. I think they're they, fabulous. I mean, I, you know, but they should be organic if you <laughs> can find them. And now they, they're found at every big box store. I remember jogging and running into a CVS or a big box store. I can't remember what in Miami. And I was like, oh no, I got to get a tampon. And I ran in there and I was like, no way they carry their own organic line. So, you know, it's just really interesting how this movement is moving fast and, you know, look, maybe they're not doing it for altruistic reasons if they are fabulous, but if they're doing it financial reasons, then, you know, people can help move the market by purchasing power. And, you know, if we want these products and they want to make money, then so be it, but they have to be vetted and real organic products and not kind of organic washed, so to speak, where they have one ingredient that's organic and the rest are crap. Um, which a lot of products in personal care do that because there's no regulations on organics in personal care. So you really have to kind of vet it out a little bit. But um, again, we have resources to do that. And very simple, you know, apps, websites, it's super easy for people to kind of jump in, you don't have to have any scientific background, you don't have to have money, particularly, you know, you, you don't have to be loaded, you just have to be able to be willing to explore this journey.
0: Let's talk about some of these chemicals themselves. How do the people who make the chemicals think about the categories of toxins? Like what are endocrine disruptors? What are neurotoxins? What are these things?
1: So there's lots of ways to kind of hit the topic of environmental chemicals. So you can separate them by their molecular structure, you can separate them by their function in terms of what they do, like nonstick chemicals, degreasing chemicals, perfumes. You can separate them out by what their physiologic effects are, like as a neurotoxin or as a liver toxin by you know that kind of categorization. So it's just, there's a lot of ways to piecemeal this all together. What's panned out is this incredible group of researchers internationally with robust information on endocrine disruptors in terms of their fu- physiologic function. So that's what I can talk about. About now because there's so many chemicals that fall under that header mm-hmm. so endocrine disruptors are basically chemicals that are man-made well i shouldn't say that entirely because actually soy genistein is a part of soy which is a natural component which is an endocrine disruptor in some ways too and there are medications that are endocrine disruptors like tamoxifen if it's not given properly in terms of its dosing so um, not that people should stop tamoxifen it's just how it's dosed And that's in the book by the way but endocrine disruptors are are a class of chemicals that basically are capable of messing with our hormones disrupting hormones and it's whether they either make the body not produce enough or make too little or they affect the receptor which is basically the um something that catches that hormone when it goes through the body and goes to an organ to make that organ do something hormones are signalers that's all they are they're basically a messenger system and these kinds of chemicals this class of chemicals can mess up that signal in in any variety of ways we know specifically that they can lower mimic estrogen so they kind of can add estrogen to someone's body and we know that that's a a problem given that a lot of cancers that are estrogen driven endometrial cancer uh, uterine cancer breast cancer certainly pcos and polycystic ovarian syndrome so all of the estrogen driven illnesses we really need to be careful of because these chemicals can mimic estrogen sort of add to the and pile on okay yeah. in terms of androgen blockers so blocking testosterone is another way that these can work. And when they block testosterone, we can see issues in newborns, believe it or not, where male genitalia are not formed properly or not fully formed. And this has become very well known in terms of the, you know, developmental biologists who have reported on this. And of course, even obstetrician gynecologists and and all of the endocrine society, American Academy of Pediatrics already knows about the endocrine disruptors and has put out papers, World Health Organization. So this is not something that's a small thing. And so these, you know, there's also thyroid hormone, right? Thyroid is a hormone that affects metabolism. Um, we know a lot more thyroid diseases are out there now, which is worrisome. And that can come from endocrine disruptors that can jump into the thyroid gland and sort of take the place of healthier um, components like iodine, which we need to thrive. So, you know, and we talk about a lot of this in the book, there's other hormones that are um, important for fertility. So Mm -hmm. infertility has gone on um, over the last decade or so. And it's not just because women are perhaps, you know, having babies later or career options or what have you. It's really also specific to environmental chemicals, growth and development of the brain for in utero exposure, autism. Um, Again, autoimmune disease is affected by the endocrine system as well. We have osteoporosis effects, believe it or not, that's an endocrine system effect, diabetes and insulin resistance. Insulin is a hormone. So, you know, not to make everyone freaked out who's listening, but <laughs> but I would be freaked out. But, you know, the idea is that I'm pointing this out as the problem so people can understand that there's really great solutions. And if there wasn't a solution, like for the smart human, my right. platform, like on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the if there's not a solution, I don't post on it. Just don't feel the need to freak people out and give them fear without a solution. And I believe there's a solution for everything. And even if it's not an aggressive or you know, widely known solution, but there's something for every problem, there's a solution. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm all about, the solutions.
0: Top three solutions for kind of avoiding or getting rid of endocrine disruption influences in your life. What would be your top three?
1: Top one is don't buy it to begin with. Well here, that's a variety, that's great. So don't buy household cleaners that you haven't tested if you're not gonna make your own. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of ways to make your own with really just white vinegar and baking soda and lemon and sea salt for scrubbing. So we give all those, you know, um, recipes, which, you know, I don't have time for, but if people want to do it, that's Mm -hmm. great. Otherwise you can look up the products that are considered safe by toxicologists who look them up. But don't buy things that are kind of superfluous, like air fresheners, you know, um, that we spray thinking they're going to clean our air, which is not true. It's the exact opposite. Carpet powders and all different types of cleaning stuff that now exists that's just absurd lawn products you know lawn care you know having a lawn care service to me is absurd just cut your lawn low so you don't track in chemicals into your home that saves money get rid of them uh plastic (laughs) water bottles you know if you get a filtration system anywhere along the algorithm of or i should say the time the um you know, from the least to the most aggressive at cost, you can go with carbon filter pitchers and refrigerator pitchers and, I mean, uh, filters. And, you know, there's a whole host of those we talk about all the way to reverse osmosis water filters, which are fabulous. And now they're not even that costly. They're about 300 bucks and about 150 for the plumber to put it in in one hour and then 40 bucks a year to change out the cartridges. So once you get that system in, you've paid off all those plastic bottles you brought home and will bring home. So there's a lot of solutions here that have a lot more to do with not buying things or at least buying things that end up being more cost-effective than anything else. And so that's kind of the first direction I like people to go to, go with. And then you can work on one thing at a time, like for instance, personal care products. Um, You can sit down and kind of go through the 12 products that women generally use on a daily basis, Um, shampoo, conditioner, nail polish, what have you. Um, Men typically use about six products daily and um, of course, right? Uh, We hope more, but... um, (laughs) And then teenagers use a whopping 15 to 17 per day, which is why I I teach high school. And it's why I want this in high schools nationally, because they are filled with hormones, as we all know. And those periods of development actually matter a great deal in terms of vulnerability to these chemicals. And so I think it's just a really um, perfect age group to hit up with great health and wellness and, and environmental health information. I hope that answers a lot of your questions, but there's a lot more that we can do. It's just a journey. And so I don't want people to think they have to do everything overnight, even like cooking utensils and you know, uh, cooking pans. And there's just so much you can do. It's just you can't flip out. You have to do it one by one. It took me like five years to get rid of my toxic couches, literally, Uh uh because we didn't have the money to just buy another couch. I mean, not many people have a couple grand to just throw a couch around, you know, so I think you have to do what works for your budget and work with your sanity and do it as a journey.
0: And what I'm hearing you say is really start with the things that are small and easy and pretty fluid. So, you know, a couch is something that sits in your house. Paint in your house is something that sits in your house. But a cleaning product, like a counter cleaning product is something that you're going to be purchasing. Hopefully, you know, you're going to be cleaning your house. So those are things that are fluid and in flux. And so the next time that you go shopping, just think about buying one thing differently or take a peek at your book. Um, and look at some of the recipes for cleaning and just make one of those cleaning change-outs. You could even do that monthly. A lot of times I think about the, you know, it's the same way we make health changes in visits, right? So you just want to keep the pointy end moving forward. You just want to keep slow but persistent progress.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it hits a tipping point where pretty much, you know, when I was drinking a whole bunch of crappy diet sodas, <laughs> I, I got to the point where it was just disgusting. Like, it, it now if I taste the soda... I actually, I'm nauseous because I can actually taste the chemicals because I've dumbed down my sensitivity. So there's a journey where you almost have a tipping point, Um, you know, and I think that feels pretty good. But to start out, even with like habits, you know, like what do you drink for tea or coffee? Can you have an organic version where we know that in food, organic actually means something? and has less pesticides in the food system. So we have this organic labeling that's quite important. Yep. And you know, isn't it better to heat up something that's organic because of all of the chemicals from manufacturing and pesticides and food packaging and that get into tea or coffee. And then we heat it up and we're like, yum, I've got a couple <laughs> full of chemicals. This is, fabulous. this is great, you know? So I kind of work on those habits. Um, I actually posted a video about that um, on the Amazon website for the book at Mm -hmm. the very bottom, it allows you to upload videos. So I just kind of did a two minute video on tea and coffee. So yeah, I mean, it's just you start with low hanging fruit things, habits that you do every day and just try to tweak a little bit at a time. It took me like six months to a year to figure out that the tea was organic, but then the kettle wasn't so great. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or, or like the diffuser was plastic when it could have been metal. You know, like uh-huh. it's almost surprising to me that it's not obvious to me.
0: A lot of functional medicine worlds or health worlds, we're talking about restriction, like don't have sugar, don't have alcohol, don't have coffee, don't have, you know, all of these things that we're used to having that we kind of like and make us feel good. And in this realm, we're not talking about actually restricting. We're just talking about making sure that those things that we love and enjoy are healthy for us and not filled with chemicals. And those things, including coffee, alcohol, and sugar, are things that humans have been enjoying for As long as we've been humans.
1: I I think you hit on a great point. You know, the thing is, I'm a realist. Yeah. And, you know, I color my hair, as you're seeing through the screen right now. I did this, my TED talk, I actually threw myself under the bus and discussed <laughs> that because we are human. We like looking pretty, you know, we like good yeah. food, we socialize. Um, and I'm I'm one of you, I'm one of everyone else. And, you know, I had to call myself out on it because I didn't want someone getting to it first. But the idea is that I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to color my hair for the future. I'll, you know, I'm not, I'm committed right now, but we'll see. <laughs> But, you know, I also made a million other changes I could come up with to compensate. And, you know, when you're having your tea and coffee or things that you enjoy, like we talk about beer and wine in the book, because I love to drink beer and occasionally wine, but mostly beer. And I'd like people to know that they can do a cleaner version of almost any of their habits, whether they're good habits or bad habits. M&Ms can be found without chemicals, believe it or not. Yes. So, you know, natural versions of those. So I just try to give people guidance into just cleaning or do a cleaner version of what their habits already are. And then they can work on whether or not it's good for them long-term with their doctors, and they can discuss that as well at some point. But the chemical aspect is the lens that I look at.
0: Yes. Oh, it's such a good one. It's such a good one. One of the things I love about your book is that it is factual and it's sharp and it's both the history of all these chemicals because that's kind of fascinating about like how did we get here and then you give these lists so it's like the the in-depth description of the history what it is and then the cliff notes on what to do about it so let's start talking a little bit about the history like how did we get here Well, you know people who make chemicals have families we're going to assume they love their children you know how did we get here
1: well, you know, we've been here for a lot more years than you'd think. I mean, we were making uh, the, the ancient Greeks are making lead pots, you know, and they didn't <laughs> really know there was lead, but they were figuring out why people were stumbling around ancient Greece. And they kind of put it together that they were lead, lead in the pots. And we talk about some of our ancient foibles in relation to where we are now, because look, we have our foibles. In the 1950s, you know, there was a huge explosion of chemical development for good, right? We wanted to fight the war, World War II. We wanted to have pesticides to fight the bugs that were, you know, attacking our troops. We wanted to store food to be able to send it overseas in cans. Um, We, you know, there was a lot of good that came out of the 1950s, because we needed um, better resources to use instead of our land, like, you know, steel and wood and all of these things were so precious that they came up with plastics that were more, you know, you could drop them and they wouldn't break and they would last forever. And, you know, housewives didn't want to have to, you know, wash dishes you know, mm-hmm. so there's, you know, single use plastics and all that. But we also had hide and rayon and formica and plexiglass and all these chemical additives for gasoline to make gasoline work better and more efficiently. So the 1950s was a huge boom. The problem is that no one saw how these were going to be broken down in the environment if they were going to chemicals that would get into human, health, in human bodies, which we'd never kind of conceived of back then. Um, Rachel Carson, of course, our famous Rachel Carson in the 1950s, um, who's a, who's a bi- biologist, um, incredible um, researcher, she discovered that these chemicals were first affecting wildlife in terms of birds having thinner eggs, um, and not being able to produce um, chicklets that were, you know, fully formed or not enough of them. So it was the canary in the coal mine. And she sounded the, the call back in the 1950s with um, Silent Spring, if anyone wants to read that. But she got us going thinking how, you know, these chemicals are making their way into waterways and into ecosystems and kind of disrupting things there. I think it took a lot longer for people to think that we were anything like, oh, I don't know, birds and other animals to think <laughs> (laughs) oh we have those same organs too believe it or not um and hormones just like these animals so the 1950s brought about good but also some stuff that we now see wasn't forethought and that's why there's so much now you know emphasis on green chemistry on Mm -hmm. how do we create items for our lives that have a story that ends with it breaking down Mm -hmm. and being part of our our earth and our ecosystem and not part of our bodies permanently you know so i think that's a really interesting thing there was a chapter in our textbook that you mentioned in the intro called integrative environmental medicine which is a textbook we did and one of the chapters was written by dr terence collins from carnegie mellon and he is just renowned green science guy and his chapter is fascinating if you are out there and you're interested in that kind of work i had a friend who said her son was starting college for engineering and wanted to do um, cleaner products and i said you should really have him look up this chapter i mean it's a wonderful chapter so you know here we are we have we're in this pickle and we have to clean up the earth but we also have to clean up our bodies and i think they go hand in hand my friend and collaborator at Princeton University, head of sustainability, and I are putting together some programs to try to show people how the environment and the human body are very similar and how they interact. Mm -hmm. And to know one piece without the other is not the full story. So um, we're looking forward to doing some work together in the future.
0: Okay, so that's a good take-home point that People started this out of trying to solve a problem. They saw a problem, they made up a solution, and lo and behold, the solution has had some unintended consequences. And so we as individuals, we who are struggling with osteoarthritis and early mortality, shortening of our lives, and autoimmune disease, and autistic children, and those of us who are struggling now um, are left kind of picking up the pieces. And so the choices that we make on a daily basis actually can impact both our health and that of the world. If we start buying, if we put our money where our mouths are, that's kind of what talks in our society. So that's good. That's a good way to think about it. I'll
1: give you an example that just occurred to me. So for instance, tampons that we talked about. Yeah. Um, so tampons are, we have plastic casing for a lot of those tampon companies, right? Huh. And uh-huh. those plastics don't break down. They're considered medical waste. They don't get recycled. Huh. And you can imagine how much of that plastic casing is in the world right now. That's <laughs> just tampons. piles and piles. I mean, just piles, piles of tampon, of tampon casing. So in addition to choosing organic tampons, you can choose ones that have cardboard Uh, Applicators or. Thank you. Uh, And so you're also making a choice to to save the world on some level. So I love how people can kind of do both if they if they put their mind to it. And uh, I think it's it's a challenge, but it's it's certainly worth trying let's talk about
0: some of the other recommendations because your chapters in your new book, I'm going to like spoiler alert, are really broken down by the things that are in us, on us, and around us. So you do talk about things like endocrine disruptors and neurotoxins of pesticides, etc. But your chapters are really broken down by, I'm just going to list them here so people can know what what they're headed for, food, water, medications, air, personal care products, cleaning agents, crop chemicals, home chemicals, radiation. And then you've got a bunch of um, different appendices with like gym tips and travel tips and recipes. So let's kind of dive into a few of these that that may not be so obvious, like medications. Talk to us a little bit about what toxic chemicals could possibly be in medications.
1: So I'll just mention one more chapter that's really important in the very beginning is what to know before you get pregnant and when you're pregnant. Oh, and yes. And parenting. Because yes. I want people to understand that there's ways to clean your body before you get ready to get pregnant. Yeah. And oops, If you get pregnant, okay, that happens to quite a few of us, then okay, what do you do now that you are pregnant? And then what do you do when the, you know, little guy comes out? And how do you keep them clean when they're, you know, younger and, you know, breastfeeding and all that. So I just want to mention that was really loaded up front because it's such an important topic.
0: Some things that we've talked about before in the show are that our first a thousand days are the most important of our life. They really set our trajectories. In utero is a really important time in terms of setting up methylation patterns. And so if you're fraught with chemicals, your body is going to be on guard from the beginning. And Ayurveda actually has recommended these last, you know, five to 10,000 years that a person should do what's called Panchakarma or a five-day detox program or five to 30 days, depending on whether you're here or in India or where you are in the world and what you can kind of manage in your lifestyle in your pocketbook but doing some sort of panchakarma doing some sort of deep detox um, i typically tell patients that life prioritizes the living so anything any chemicals that are in you and are generally going to get kind of downloaded because you need to stay alive so a lot of that stuff is good to get out of your system first and that body burden study by environmental working group in 2005 recognized an average of 287 toxic chemicals in the cord blood of newborns so Obviously, I did not write your book. You wrote your book, and I know I'm talking a lot about this, but it is a real point of contention because how we take care of what Ayurveda calls the field before the seeds are laid, that's literally the language they use about it. How an infant is incubated, how a fetus is incubated and then those first thousand days really sets the health trajectory for life. Like you can set how you're going to die with some of those early patterns. So when you think about your children living long, healthy lives, you want to think about how you start them out.
1: And that's amazing. And I'm so happy you brought all that up because really we also talk about early on as epigenetic changes, which is, you know, really exposures to many chemicals in utero in a pregnant woman um, affects not only the mom, that exposure, whatever it may be. And it could be stress. It could be synthetic light, it could be noise pollution, it could be poor sleep, it could be chemicals, it could be anything she eats or drinks or puts in her body or on her body. But that affects essentially not just her body, but the two more generations because you're not yes. only affecting the fetus, but you're also affecting the germ cells of that fetus. So if it's, a, if it's an infant female, you got all of those eggs in there developing in utero um, and germ cells for, for males. So you're affecting three generations at once and we now know that some of those chemicals can actually have genetic changes, not just to um, a mom, but really to her offspring. So I know it's, it sounds really daunting and horrible, but again, it just emphasizes, <laughs> in my opinion, you know, let to just get on it and think about it and, and think about ways to just make our bodies clean. I urge everyone out there who has access to a young person who's going to get pregnant one day, whether intentionally or not, we hope not, you know, not intentionally, but really think about this as sort of a guidebook for a healthy life, as you're saying, from the very start onward. So that's really the emphasis there. And and um, and I wish I had done a lot of things differently. I mean, no way was I into this stuff when I was having kids. I was cleaner, but I was still eating cheese Whiz and, you know, Oreos, Oreos and drinking Dr. Pepper. And, you know, and then I'd have a salad and then I'd have McDonald's. What did I eat? I ate a lot of... Um, Uh, chocolate chip pancakes. So that's why my kid likes pancakes, I think. So, you know, we, we do better when we know better. That's all.
0: And early in pregnancy, that first trimester, really, we do crave, you know, there's so much cell division, there's so much activity. We are not necessarily craving salad right? You really want carbs and heavier foods and stabilizing foods. So again, this is not about restriction. You're not supposed to be keto or paleo necessarily while you're in your first trimester of pregnancy. And in fact, Ayurveda says the pregnant woman should always be happy. They should go with whatever they crave. But again, you know, we, it's just a trade out for things without chemicals. So you can have the chocolate chip pancakes, just, you know, organic chocolate chips and healthy grains and healthy oils. So it's really, it's not about restriction. It's just about non-chemical lens.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a brilliant way to put it. Like I said, there's a hack for everything out there in this yeah. game. Oreo hacks that are delicious. I have some in my closet. I mean, they're a hack for everything. And so the question is just making better choices. And that's what the book's about. It's just helping guide people to better choices. And here's how to do it.
0: So let's dive into medications. Talk to us a little bit because we are, you know, we're medical people. So we prescribe medications.
1: I'm not against medications. So people yeah. always either come to my practice or call me and say, you know, I've been suffering for, you know, with rheumatoid for five, six years and I'm, you know, I don't want to be on meds. And they come in and their hands are swollen and they're in pain. And I mean, they're just, life is just miserable. And yeah. for some people, I'm like, listen, you need to be on a medication. Diet is not entirely working. Supplements, everything you've tried is not working and you can't live like this. So medications, yeah. you know, really serve a wonderful purpose, especially in the world of rheumatology, which is essential, you know, or else lupus patients die or have lupus nephritis or people lose vision or what have you. So I just like people to really balance out what we need and what is is really urgently needed versus what we kind of take just because we think it's a reasonable idea and it's there and it's instant gratification and, and not understand, Sort of the repercussions of a lot of long term medications. And medica- medications, many medications weren't even designed for other than one outcome. And the problem with that is because you're also not seeing how these drugs work with other medications, which are often taken together. They synergize with environmental chemicals like endocrine disruptors. So mm. we know that that little soup of chemicals can be a problem in terms mm. of inflammation and side effects and risk. We know that medications, oral medications, not just antibiotics, But a whole host of medications affect the gut microbiome, Mm -hmm. which is our healthful, plentiful bacteria, molds, yeast, everything that lives in our gut, our 24 feet of bowel that keep us healthy, our immune systems healthy, keep our mental health healthy healthy to the gut brain connection. So, you know, the book lays out in categories statins, I think I did um, anti uh, reflux medications. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did a couple paragraphs just kind of showing people um, what the risks are, and then, you know, mention re- you know, resources and alternatives. So, you know, the idea that we have to go big or go home with meds is, is really not true. At this point, we have enough tools, we have Ayurvedic medicine, ancient Chinese medicine, we have integrative and functional medicine, there's so many great things, That have been used for generations to help with acid reflux and cholesterol um, and blood pressure that we just don't know about because of the marketing onslaught by pharma so we just want to kind of pull back a little bit and see what else is available that's all
0: and medications it seems like just like chemicals are we're designed to solve a problem but then that problem that they solve leaves us with other problems so using a medication, even temporarily or maybe forever, but it needs to only be part of the healthcare solution.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. Again, it's with the way I look at integrative medicine, which is my background is, you know, you can take medications and you can do integrative approaches as well through diet, nutrition, supplements. That's how I get the best outcomes in many of my patients, because it's not just you know, kumbaya and, <laughs> and, and, and meditation and, you know, dancing around your yard. It's not just uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Um, it's vetted supplements, supplements that have evidence-based um, studies. That's what I like to stick to. But it's also the medications that we can now use at a lower dose. Or maybe we don't have to stay on that medication forever. Maybe that was just a bridge to getting someone into remission or feeling better through their lifestyle that took a little longer. So there's all different ways to do this. And medications are a tool just like everything else is a tool. And it's how you integrate them for the most um, efficient outcomes is the way I look at it
0: in these last few minutes, let's talk a little bit more about the resources because that is one thing that I was struck by. I've been in this world a long time, you know, two decades. And one of the things I was struck by was how many resources you brought out that I had like literally never heard of. I was like, what? Oh my God. Oh my God. Where are these people? Who are these people? So talk to us a little bit about the resources and where we can find more information in your, like what you know, how do we know more about what you know?
1: So, I'll tell you, I you know the book is one beautiful thing that I'm so proud of, and I'm glad to get out into the world. But what I wanted to also do um, a few years back was post on what I'm learning as I'm going. And so I started the Smart Human platform. Again, out of frustration that I didn't see anything out there that kind of appealed <laughs> to me and was uh-huh. like, "and you know, give me some salient quick points, nuggets, teach me this in one post and tell me what the solution is in one post. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- I think people don't have the, you know, the, the attention span to be barraged with so many topics. So I do one yep. at a time. But anyway, so Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, The Smart Human. Um, and then, of course, the website collects a lot of the podcasts that I do, and some you know articles that I write, um, and any interesting information that's worth sharing as a post goes to the thesmarthuman.com. Um, and there's resources and fun facts and kind of things like that. But you know, the idea was that it lives beyond the book, and I wanted people to have ongoing information shared with them on nutrition. Um, I do mental health Fridays. Mm -hmm. Um, which is usually something very funny, if you get my humor. Um, (laughs) I had had, someone had created during quarantine a um, kind of like a mini um, museum of art for their gerbils. And literally, like to down to the detail, had all the classic artists, you know, uh, these amazing. these little, uh, you know, art art for art pictures, and then put it in this little box, and had the gerbils looking around and running. It was hysterical on video. So you know, these are the kind of things that I think people need to see um, because it's just life is really hard right now. Um, but the platform is really a way for me to share. Heavy hitter material on Wednesdays, which is usually a deep dive topic with you know a lot of bullets with you know what mm-hmm. to do. Um, Mondays are usually sustainability topics of who's getting rid of you know plastics, single serve plastics like Europe or cool innovative sustainability things about the ocean or lawn care or what have you. And then Wednesdays are more physiologic in terms of you know personal care, nutrition. These are written posts. I write them and I team up and I, I now have to do another two months worth. But um, mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Facebook is my favorite place to post because it's really a lot of good information. Instagram is a little bit more for the younger crowd. I have to do funnier things, more interesting pictures, a little more about Mm -hmm. myself and my family, some celebrity stuff. I mean, it's just a different personality. So I I kind of post differently so people don't get bored. So yeah, I mean, that's really lives beyond the book. And so um, I hope people will find that, you know, additive to their lives on a regular basis. Great. And tell us a little bit about the farm you live on. So I lived in the city for training. For um, I guess I did my residency and in in New York City at Beth Israel, and I did my fellowship training in autoimmune disease and rheumatology at Montefiore in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. So I saw a lot of cement in my training years um, in Philly. I think before then. So I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, so I knew I was always going to go back to something like that. But it turns out I met a man that really loved creative structures. Mm. Um, I personally just wanted um, furniture that wasn't sheep and (laughs) uh, a house that had a roof, but he was all into, um, you know, interesting structures. So he discovered this farm in Prince—not uh, in Princeton, but but in in a local area in East central New Jersey. And he's like, "Have you ever been to this town?" I'm like, "No." I said, "I grew up near there, but I've never even been to that town." And it turns out it's like this hundred-year-old dairy barn that no one wanted, and we renovated it before we had kids because no way would we get anything done with kids. And so yeah, we live in a hundred-year-old dairy barn in a um, very farmed section of New Jersey. So you know, I'm managing glyphosate spraying right now with a. Local local farmer and these are kind of old school, you know, and it's very funny. I'm actually considering putting together a documentary about it because I'm dealing with like these aged farmers with like leather hands and, you know, like they just politically and philosophically do not line up. And yet I'm having beers with them and bringing over textbooks and chapter sections and I'm posting, you know, Oh, Mexico just banned glyphosate. You know, it's Uh it's just remarkable what I've I feel like I'm trying to do here. But anyway, so yeah, that's my world and so it's personal to me. A lot of these topics are very personal to me and I think that comes through in the introduction, but it's going to continue throughout, you know, my my time here on earth. So You know, that's it. Great. Well, we are so
0: lucky to have you not only on the podcast today, but in the world doing the work you're doing. I'm really grateful. I'm really excited. It's definitely a passion of mine from my outward bound years when we were just in these wood boats out, you know, with plastic buckets. But we used a lot of, but, um, you know, out in the ocean. So, so glad to have you here today. Thank you, everybody, for listening today with Dr. Ailey Cohn. We've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also get more information from and about her at smarthuman.com, at her Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages, and more about us at our website, centerforhealingneurology.com, and our Twitter, Facebook, and website. Even better, come see us in person. Come see her in person in New Jersey, us in Seattle. Please be sure to share this show with your friends, and we welcome your rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to send topic requests to podcasts at Neurology.com. We love that you've joined us today to discuss how to make our whole world medicine. We rise or fall together and we are committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. Thank you for listening and see you next time.